When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. On this episode of Newt's World, last night on PBS was the premiere of the new, extraordinary documentary about Hemingway, a film by Ken Burns and Lynn Novick. The documentary covers Hemingway's entire life in six hours over three nights. Part one is entitled A Writer and covers 1899 to 1929, Hemingway's childhood, early youth, and life as a young man in the World War I Red Cross Ambulance Service, two marriages, and two children. And I'm looking forward to watching part two tonight at 8 p.m., The Avatar from 1929 to 1944, and then part three, on Wednesday night at 8 p.m., the blank page from 1944 to 1961. It's hard to imagine what the filmmakers go through when taking on a subject like Hemingway, his largeness of life, his bravado and spirit. How do you capture the nature of the man, the myth, the writer, revealed in six hours? Well, I'm really pleased to welcome my two guests today who will describe the process they went through in researching, writing, and filming this extraordinary biography. Lynn Novick, who directed the film, and Sarah Botstein, who produced the film, along with Ken Burns. Lynn and Sarah, welcome. And I should mention to our listeners that if they happen to miss part one of Hemingway last night, they can watch it on the PBS app or by going to pbs.org slash Hemingway, and they can watch it online. Before we get to Hemingway, as excited as I am about that, 
Tell me about your partnership. I understand you've been working together at Florentine Films since 1997. That's an amazing run. Yes, this is Lynn, and Sarah and I have worked together with Ken and our writer Jeff Ward and an incredible team of producers and editors. Since Sarah came in 1997, I came to Florentine Films in 1989 when Ken was finishing his Civil War series, and we've had just an incredible experience of learning about subjects as far-ranging as jazz, prohibition, the Second World War, and now Hemingway, and Vietnam War, I shouldn't forget that. So we throw ourselves into these subjects sort of headlong. They're long-term research and production efforts, so we get to know the people, we get to know the historians, and we enter into worlds that we would never have access to, and it's been an incredible privilege to do it together with Sarah. So I'm curious, because of your prestige and because of the extraordinary achievements, you could cover almost anything. So why, of all the things you could have picked, why go to Hemingway? I have personally been fascinated by and kind of obsessed with Hemingway since I was in high school. And that was in the 1970s when I first discovered The Sun Also Rises in school and then read A Farewell to Arms and many of the short stories as a young adult and found, like many people, his life and his work completely fascinating. And in the mid-90s, I went to Key West on vacation and went to his home and saw the room where he worked and really felt an epiphany of, if we're looking for iconic American subjects and important stories to tell, how could we not do Hemingway? And I went back to Walpole and talked to Ken Burns and Jeff Ward about it, and they said, yeah, Hemingway's great. We've sort of thought about it before. Let's think about it some more. And we thought about it and thought about it, and it took us a while to get there because of other projects we were working on. And finally, in around, well, when we were working on our Vietnam series, Ken and Jeff and Sarah and I decided, yes, we are going to do Hemingway. It's time to tell this story. Well, you know, it's amazing, and I think a tribute to the prestige that you bring to documentaries, that the voices you had for Hemingway and his four wives, I mean, Jeff Daniels, Meryl Streep, Carrie Russell, Mary Louise Parker, Patricia Clarkson, That's really quite a group. How hard was it to draw them together? Just to say, I mean, it is one of our favorite aspects of our work is to find actors to read well-known and lesser-known important people in our history, and this film certainly has a great cast. Jeff Daniels inhabits Hemingway in such a miraculous way. He not only reads the works of Hemingway, but all of Hemingway's personal letters. And he's Hemingway young and Hemingway old, Hemingway sad, Hemingway angry, Hemingway in every iteration. And he's truly, truly brilliant. So, you know, we thought of him for many, many reasons. And, you know, obviously he's also from that part of the country. And that wasn't why we chose him, but it was a happy coincidence. And I think he did bring some understanding of where and how Hemingway grew up in his reading. And then Meryl Streep and Ken have gotten to be friends over the years, and she was an extraordinary Eleanor Roosevelt in the series that he did a few years ago. And I think whenever we can, we jump at the chance to work with her. And she actually recorded Martha Gellhorn during COVID all alone in Los Angeles. We weren't able to be there because of COVID and just did a miraculous job bringing her to life. And then Lynn and I had, I mean, one of the most fun three days working with Carrie Russell and Patricia Clarkson and Mary Louise Parker. Each of Hemingway's wives were different, strong, independent, interesting women. And all of those actors brought something to the women. And we feel very, very lucky to have worked with them. In terms of giving it a sense of reality, 
you were actually able to film in Hemingway's home in Cuba. How did that come about? Well, we were very lucky in that there's a foundation. The home is called the Finca Vigia, and the Finca Vigia Foundation, which is based in the U.S., is dedicated to preserving that incredible place. And so they helped us to make contacts in Cuba with the government agency that runs it because the home belongs to the people of Cuba. And so we were given permission to go into the house to scout and then to film for several days. The curators really want to share the story of this place and Hemingway's life there and what you can glean about him from being there. And as tourists, if you go to Cuba, you can't go inside the house. You can just look in the windows. We were able to go inside with our lights and our camera crew for several days and nights and really inhabit that place. And it is remarkable. You know, it's as if you went out to go get a cup of coffee from where you live right now and you just never came back. Everything that you left in your house would be there. You know, your toothbrush and your cell phone and, you know, your shoes. I mean, it literally everything he had is there from the newspaper he was reading to his toothbrush, everything. And so when you walk in, it's like he just left. Was he warned or did he just have an instinct that the time had come? It was over several months. He was warned ultimately. Castro came to power and he sort of thought maybe he might be able to stay there and kind of just be a neutral party. And the pressure became too intense, anti-American sentiment, and also our government wanted him out of there. They had bought a home in Idaho as kind of a safety valve, and they went there, but they didn't know they weren't going to be able to go back to Cuba. So after the Bay of Pigs, he never went back again. It must have been a great cost to him, because I think he truly loved being there, and he loved the Caribbean. Now, you also got permission from the Hemingway family to film the original manuscripts, which are at the JFK Library. In what way does showing the original manuscript enhance the story? It's amazing that Hemingway kept every version of so many of his great works. And he was so fastidious and enormously disciplined and would, you know, go over and over both with his written hand and the typewriter and change commas, words, semicolons, names of characters, titles of works, and All of those are kept in very pristine, beautiful condition at the Kennedy Library. And there are high-resolution scans and lower-resolution scans that academics and people interested in Hemingway can access and go see. And at one point, we thought, maybe we don't need to film the original manuscripts. We can just use the scans, and that's fine. But we went there just as we were about to finish filming, and we were trying to decide whether we should do it or not. And I remember the sensation of being given the folder and opening his actual pencil of the farewell to arms and calling Lynn and calling Ken and saying, you know, it's a little bit like being in a museum and actually seeing the work of art or being in a concert hall and hearing the piece of music or looking at the actual sculpture. There is something truly magical to it. And we brought our cameras in about a week later and spent a couple of days just reveling in the fact that we could show these documents in their original quality and the pencil feels different and the paper looks different and it's pretty amazing. It's remarkable to think of all that being done with a pencil. Yeah. Those of us who now live in an age when we'd be very hard put to be able to write that well. Your story reminded me of a good friend of mine, Daniel Silva, who's a novelist, who was down in the basement at the Vatican Museum where he had written some things about mysteries in in the Vatican, and they liked him. At one point, a guy turns to him and says, here, hold this for a second. And he's holding this 
unfinished painting. And he said, what is this? He said, oh, it's a Da Vinci. <laughs> he said, the sense he had <laughs> of not dropping it. <laughs> exactly. Can I- From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. One of the things that makes Hemingway, in a way, timeless, I think, is that he creates this mythology about himself. There's some historic Hemingway hidden in there somewhere, but there's also somebody who, it seems to me, is virtually for his entire life self-promoting and trying to have you believe in a Hemingway he would like to believe in. Did you find that kind of tricky to go through and distinguish which Hemingway you were dealing with? You know, in a way, that's part of him too, right? So one of the first things you'll hear in the film is one of our interview experts saying, I hate the myth of Hemingway. The myth of Hemingway obscures the man. And it's absolutely right. And as you said, he did that himself because he wanted to keep part of himself private and not lay himself bare all the time. And he also was a great self-marketer. He understood very well that this persona that he created sold a lot of books. And he was very, very famous for being a great artist, but also for all his public escapades. In making the film, we wanted to show that was part of him and that he created it and that it kind of imprisoned him after a while and maybe got in the way of us seeing his art and also, in a way, bled back into his work at some points in not very salubrious ways, you know. So some of his works that are not perhaps the greatest 
maybe are just infected by this macho persona on the printed page rather than the deeper, more vulnerable, complicated characters that he does so beautifully at other points in his life. I get the impression that every once in a while he drifts into commercialism and he writes in order to get paid so he can sustain the myth, which then allows him to write so he can get paid. And then occasionally, even late in life, he suddenly breaks off and does something like The Old Man on the Sea. And it's a totally different experience. And in a way, a totally different Hemingway. Yeah. You had the privilege of interviewing Hemingway's only surviving son, Patrick. Did that give you a different feel for Hemingway? Very much so. It gives you chills when someone says, my dad always used to say, his dad happens to be an Ernest Hemingway. And yet here's Patrick in front of us, a very human, relatable, down-to-earth person. And he was 85 when Sarah and I first met him. He's now in his early 90s, very much with us. And his father is a vivid character to him, but also a complicated character. And he's not shy about revealing some of the really deep and devastating family conflicts that they experience. But he also is very generous in sharing what a wonderful childhood he had and how much he loves his father and how sad he was that they became sort of estranged at the end of Hemingway's life. So where he is in his life or where he was when we first started talking with him was that he wanted the world to see an honest portrait of Ernest Hemingway. You know, And he said often he trusted us to tell a story that would be fair and true and let the chips fall where they may. And that's a very generous thing for him, knowing all the flaws that Hemingway had, and he knows that as well as anyone, to be willing and eager to have that story told, so long as, and we made this very clear from the beginning, we were interested in Hemingway because of his art. So centering the film on his work, you know, that's what was important to Patrick, too. Well, you know, it's interesting because Hemingway himself had wrote All you have to do is write one true sentence. Write the truest sentence that you know, and then go from there. And in that sense, I think Hemingway would probably take some comfort in the idea that you were trying to find the true Hemingway and not just fall for whatever the mythology this year is. You'll have a Hemingway-esque voyage that you guys have taken. I think that's true, and Patrick wanted to help us on that journey. I was really surprised, just a sign of my own ignorance, I guess, but I had no idea how challenging Hemingway found finishing A Farewell to Arms. And the fact that apparently he thought he had written 39 different endings, but apparently you all discovered that if you go and look at the material at the Kennedy Library, there were 47 different endings. That's really an extraordinary period of agony to sit there and say, well, this isn't quite right. Let me go at it again. You know, I've written a fair amount of my life, but I can't quite imagine the intensity of that kind of a commitment. When you looked at that material, would it have been a significantly different book had he picked one of the other endings? Well, in one of the endings, the baby survived. So he experimented. And what's interesting is that he had to try it out on the page, not just in his head. You know, write it down. And the description of the baby's fine, so sorry about Catherine, You know, that sort of took him down a rabbit hole that didn't go where he wanted to go. But he had to try it out. And some of the endings are, frankly, kind of maudlin. Some of them are overwritten. Some of them are kind of ridiculous. And then he hits on the perfect one. So I love the fact that he agonized so much. I wonder whether, I'm sure he poured his heart and soul into everything he ever wrote. 
but this was, I think in some way he knew this was going to be big, that it was going to be epic, that it was going to really make his reputation. And so he self-imposed pressure, perhaps, but also kind of an artistic exigency to get this right and not to let it go until he was really satisfied. And that's so beautiful. You know, it always struck me that there's a, in a very real sense, the sheer impact, both as a literary event and as a popular book, of The Sun Also Rises, also became a burden. Because now you got to figure out, what am I going to do to stay, not necessarily to transcend it, but what do I do to just stay in the same league right. as this book, which is one of the transformative American novels of the 20th century? That must have been in his head a great deal of the time. I can't now slide back into mediocrity and have been a one-novel writer. But do you get that sense when you look at his material? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think early success is hard for anyone, daunting for anyone. And he had early success, obviously, with some of the short stories. And then with The Sun Also Rises, which, as you say, is transformative, looking at a generation lost in different, you know, the world has blown up. And I think he knew that a lot was riding on A Farewell to Arms. And it's an extraordinary book that will withstand the test of time, no question in my mind. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. You know, in the age of COVID and fentanyl and all these things, it would be nice to have a new Hemingway. 
who could somehow capture for us the experience and make sense out of it, which is what he does for The Sun Also Rises. We were talking earlier about the book Everybody Behaves Badly, which I think is a terrific book. By Leslie Bloom. Yeah, terrific book. Highly recommend it. What I'm intrigued with when you look at all of that is, was it the moment, was there an entire population that sort of was waiting for somebody like Hemingway to capture for them their own thoughts? And it's the combination of the topics, but also of this new writing style, which cuts through what had been the classic American literary genre up to that point. When you look back on that, are you surprised at how gigantic an impact it had? It's hard to say because I can't imagine American literature or the literature of World War I without The Sun Also Rises. It is so important, and yet it's not even directly about the war. It's about the generation, like Sarah was saying, and how people were damaged by the scale of loss and trauma that they had all gone through. And how do you keep on living? How do you keep on finding meaning in life? And it's such an unusual way to approach it for that time, I think. It's very idiosyncratic. It's very particular to the circumstances he was in and the people he knew and the things he saw and what he was interested in. So it's hard to even imagine. I think it had a huge impact on his life, that's for sure. And it also was a way that he showed, and Leslie Bloom shows this so beautifully in her book, he was willing and eager to use anything and everything at his disposal to tell the story he wanted to tell, even at the expense of people who had really helped him and good friends that he portrayed in the book in not terribly positive light, especially Harold Loeb, who was a good friend of his and had helped him in his career and then was portrayed in the novel as Robert Cohn, who's sort of the anti-hero or the villain of the story in a lot of ways. And so Hemingway didn't care. He wanted to tell his story, and he would take whatever he could around him to make great literature, and there was a price to pay for that. In that sense, I got the impression that he was a dangerous friend. Very much so. You know, very interesting, very exciting, but also like being next to a lion. He could bite you at any moment. So well said. And he was driven by Hemingway. He wasn't driven very externally in that sense. The other part of that, though, is that Hemingway also, it seems to me, and I'd be curious because you have been so immersed in this, the clean, simple, short narrative model that he develops where the sentences are easy to understand, there's a driving momentum, sort of paves the way for Dashiell Hammett and others. So you get an entire American genre of a kind of clean storytelling that's profoundly different from what went before. Does that fit as you look at his impact on writing and his impact on would-be authors of the future. We did a series of conversations about Hemingway with different experts and writers and people who had perspectives. And one of the people who joined us was Rachel Kushner, who's a novelist in L.A. in her 40s or 50s. And to read her, you might not necessarily see the echoes of Hemingway per se. And she said she thought her generation wasn't directly influenced by Hemingway, but they were influenced by the generation that came before that was directly influenced by Hemingway. So in a sense, his fingerprints or his DNA is passing through many generations removed. And I think someone writing 100 years from now will be influenced by Hemingway, but they may not really realize it. It's unavoidable. Even with Six Hours, which is a remarkable documentary built around one person, you must have left really interesting things on the cutting floor. I guess nowadays with digits, we don't actually cut anything anymore. (laughs) This is a leftover from the age of film. But I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest thing you regret not having been able to include? 
What a good question. I mean, we always say that the stuff that's on the cutting room floor, virtual or not, is never bad stuff. It's just, I mean, Ken is famous for saying this, it's too many notes. It's just right. one too many threads for our audience to follow. You know, one of the challenges of the film, I would say, is that so much of Hemingway's greatest work was done in the first decade of his writing career, I would say, from his early time in Paris through the Farewell to Arms or even into the early 30s. And so we could have made six hours just on that because there's so much to explore. And so in particular, the short stories, his first great burst of short stories, and those are often overlooked because the novels, we tend to value novels over short stories as markers of literary genius or whatever. But there are many short stories that we were not able to delve into as deeply. In particular, I have my favorite, which is Soldier's Home, which I think is an extraordinary work about a young man coming home from World War I and trying to reintegrate into society after all kinds of horrific experiences and ending up really not being able to do that and his family not understanding him, et cetera. It's a beautiful story. It's very short. We don't open up and tell you about that short story. And that I wish we could have done. You may not be allowed to answer this question, but I'm curious. Now that you have this great achievement, adding to your list of great achievements, do you have a notion yet of what the next one is? Oh, yeah. Lynn, Ken, and I are making a film about the U.S. response to the Holocaust, looking at what our country knew when we knew it and what we did about it in relationship to the immigration and refugee crisis that we are still feeling the effects of. So that film will come out in 2023. It's another six-hour look at that time. Ken is working on many projects. Another one that I am directly working on is a big series we're making on the American Revolution. So that's a very that's great. interesting time to be doing that. And Lynn is working on a big series on the history of crime and punishment. Oh, wow. Now, you mean the book or you mean the process? No, the history of right, crime and punishment in America. <laughs> So the book is a fascinating novel, but this is really going back to the earliest European presence here up through the American Revolution and the penitentiary system, and then all the way up to mass incarceration and beyond. I've spent over 20 years on prison reform, and it's a very important topic. We're grateful to you for that, and we actually want to say Sarah and I together made a film two years ago that came out called College Behind Bars. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it was a exploration of men and women in prison who were enrolled in a really remarkable college program called the Bard Prison Initiative. So they earned college degrees and they experienced the transformative power of education. And, you know, the film opens with a class studying Moby Dick. And then it goes on from there to linear algebra and Mandarin and advanced economics. These are incarcerated men and women from marginalized communities who are some of our most brilliant scholars that you can possibly imagine. So we, and we are very much aware of your very important work on criminal justice reform. Let me extend to both of you that as each of these new projects comes to fruition, if you'd be willing to come back and talk about it, we'd love to have you come because it's absolutely fascinating and you, you do world-class work, so it's always a great tribute. I just feel great being in your presence and knowing how hard you two have worked and Ken's worked to build this whole entire genre of material. We would love to. So thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so yeah. much. It was a great conversation. Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to watching Hemingway Part 2 tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on my local PBS station. For our listeners who missed watching Hemingway Part 1 last night, 
You can watch it online for free on the PBS app or by going to pbs.org slash Hemingway. It's an exceptional film on Hemingway's life, and I highly recommend it. Thank you to my guests, Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein. You can get a link to watch their new film about Hemingway on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.